Sean. <clears throat> Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Hmm. It's a little bit early, but is it early? Huh? huh, huh, huh I mean, it's huh. not. It's not like super early. No, 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 no. Um, tomorrow, oh, my pre PC. Tomorrow is December first. Is that right? Yeah, not loving that. You know, I um, <clears throat> November was like um, for some people I know like a like a fasting month. You know, like oh, I'm not gonna do any cake or whatever in November. I don't know. I don't know what people do, but I've is heard it, is from it, I people. Never, I never heard of that. Is that a fact? I think it might have just been uh, just been like random, you know, a couple of random people I know. <laughs> but I've been looking forward to November getting over kind of on their behalf, you know, just. Yes. I mean, I'm not talking to them every day about it or anything. It's just they said early on in the month, like, oh, this month I'm not going to eat any bad food. And so it's in the back of my head, like, oh, tomorrow's December 1st. They get to have a cookie or whatever. It's, it's very interesting to me when certain periods of time uh, become like event times. And November, to my knowledge, so you, what you're saying it's no cake November. N- yeah. I mean, it needs a catchy little thing like that, doesn't it? No cake November. Well, yeah. November, as far as I know, I know of three November things. There's uh, NaNoWriMo, where you try to write a novel, a 50,000-word novel in 30 days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's Movember, where you try to grow a beard. Well, there is no try. There's only beard. You you grow a beard. Right, right, of course. Of course you grow a beard. No, it's a a mustache, right? Movember is mustache-vember. Every day is Movember for Rob Delaney. He can grow a mustache in a, an hour and a half. I bet while he's waiting for something to download, he could grow a mustache. Yep, yep, yep. And he's then got there's one, of one those I learned about. Faces. Say again? He's got a mustache face. Uh, I'm so sorry. My pre PC is a mess here. I got to work on this. What's a pre PC? Uh, it's the mix in my cans of how much of me, V, how much of the other person I hear. And I, right. I end up changing it for every show, and it's kind of making me crazy. Why do you change it for every show? Because everybody's volume is different. Every sperm is sacred. Sure, sure. I, th- I think I've almost nailed it now. I'm just going to turn me way down and you way up. And the third that I learned... Oh, God, I don't know. Oh, boy. Hello. The Hello. third, that, the third One, that I learned about just this year, just this uh, coming in, uh, No Nut November. Oh, No Nut November. No Nut November. And I'm given to believe, based on what I've gleaned, I'm not going to search it. From what I've been able to glean, uh, you decide um, not to visit the self-service pump f- mm-hmm. for the month of uh, November. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Have you heard of this? No, but I but I understand. I understand it, and I think it's. Um, I think that anything you do that that tests you is mm. is good. You know, any mm-hmm. test. Any, any, test, any test put me to the test, scald my balls, but no, not. Yeah. What you're saying to yourself, though, but isn't part of it also that, like, you're mindfully sort of deciding this is a thing that I'm doing? It isn't like you just suddenly realize it's like uh, no ice cube February or whatever. Like, you have to go into it saying, all right, n- on November 1st, you know, I- I'm not going to work from home. I think it's the euphemism. Yeah, yeah, well... I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to commit the sins of Onan. Doesn't it feel like, um, doesn't it feel like it's, a, it's got to be kind of a reaction to something, right? You don't, you're not walking You don't do that for like, no reason. Yeah, exactly. You're not, no, what that should would be I no, give no up reason. for November? No, no reason, November. No, no reason, November. <laughs> no, you got to, you're, you're having a reaction some, somehow inside. You're either, you're feeling guilty, you're feeling yes. scared, you got hidden cameras everywhere. Ugh. Or, you know, you're getting calluses or something. Okay, okay. Like, let's let's, let's like interrogate this. Something's got to change. Well, well, I think the one that you could be, and I don't want to make this blue because this is just science and science isn't blue. Sure. Love is blue. Uh, mm-hmm. Love is patient, kind, love is kind. Kind of blue. Yeah. It's kind of blue. Ba-da-m. No, not. No, not. <laughs> ba-doom, ba-doom. That's stupid. Really, really stupid. You know, all white people own that album. Uh, not me. What? You're kidding. <laughs> no, no, do you have, do you no. have take five? Do you own take five? Uh, I do have some brew back, yeah. 
<laughs> Do you own the Steely Dan album Asia? <laughs> uh, it's in there somewhere. Yeah, it's up on the wall. Uh-huh. I think I got the gold, the gold pressing. <laughs> so if we interrogate this just a little bit, and science isn't blue, uh, I mean, one could be you just say to yourself, you know what? I, I nut too much. Mm. I, I nut too much, and I don't feel good about that. But but then you break that down further, and boy, you get a real mind map going here. Is it because you feel like it's become a distraction? Do you feel like it's draining your precious bodily fluids? Do you feel like it's on? Is it a proud boys thing? Is it mm-hmm. like are you trying to like? Boy, and now as I sit here thinking of this, I want to know what you think. But now as I sit here thinking about this on Monday, November thirtieth, uh, at eleven oh eight a.m., if there are some boys out there that managed to keep their nut in the jar for the last thirty days, woof! Tomorrow going to be a very unproductive or extremely productive day depending on how you look at it is that the cl- <laughs> okay okay uh-huh okay okay <clears throat> just trying uh, to get some kind of blue going uh-huh oh kind um, of blue i see um uh I, I okay i didn't know if that was an ocarina or or a uh, uh, a recorder. It seemed to have a very limited number of holes. If you'll pardon my saying. <laughs> yeah. Was it an ocarina? Speaking, speaking of Movember. Da 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 da. Um. <laughs> you... That's the klaxon. The klaxon that lets you know you've only got a few hours left. Twelve oh one a.m. December first. Rabbit, rabbit. You can spill your seed upon the ground or yeah, wherever you prefer. A, here's a question I don't know the answer to. Were you ever a pot smoker, Merlin? Yes. Were you a pot smoker for like a like a concentrated period or an extended period? I played at smoking pot in high school with the crappy shake weed that we would get. I didn't do it regularly. I think more than anything else, it was mainly a financial thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Once in college, you could buy a quarter bag, they called it, for $45 American. It was okay, good, bud. And I would smoke that till it's- You could get a quarter for $45? I think that's what it was. Oh, all right. What would you okay. pay? What, what? So, how much did you pay? I so think what, I paid forty-five dollars for. I think it isn't it a, a quarter ounce. It's like a bag with like a finger and a half of uh, of Florida weed in it. Was it? Was it? But it wasn't like it wasn't like crusty orange dog purple buds it jesus was like christ some, no it might it as well like have been it might as well yeah it might as well have been a jar that said mccormick <laughs> okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> i was gonna be like wow uh well, i don't even know what it costs but to answer your question i would go through periods me and my pals where we would have a, a large amount of marijuana and i feel like it wasn't great for me uh i enjoyed it uh, it was fun, but I would get tired and I would get a little bit, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to have a stereotype here, but I did get a little lazy and I did get, get uh, stress bumps. Oh, you did. It gave you stress bumps. It gave me stress bumps. Yeah. I think I have immune problems and, but now today they got edibles. Woof. Yeah, they do. Oh, do you, do you, do you, do you do edibles? Do you eat them? I wouldn't know. Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm. But here's very, the nice thing about the edible, I see, I was told a long time, now you, you know me. The two times I ever ate something with marijuana in it in previous ages, both times I passed out. Uh You know this, right? Uh It is known? Uh Yes, I passed out at the Kids in the Hall show, which is a shame because I love Kids in the Hall. And one one time my uh, my boss made brownies. The problem is you get brownies, you're going to have a very, uh, I'm going to say, going to guess here, speculate that you get a pretty uneven amount per brownie. Yeah. I had like one brownie. Oof. Also, they're delicious, so you want you want them. You want to eat. This is why an alcohol drink shouldn't taste too good. Yeah, that's right. Because right. you've got to test yourself, am I right? Yeah, your your weed should be not easy to consume. Not, it should be painful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Make a call. Anyway, to answer your question, I, I did go through those periods. Now, with the, the I was scared because I always thought, okay, ed, quote unquote, edibles, I eat that. And, and like on one occasion, I did pass out in the bathroom while I was urinating. I got up, somehow found my way out of the bathroom, which suddenly had begun to feel like a maze. It's mm-hmm. not a maze. You've been in our bathroom. You know our bathroom. It's got that door that always opens. There's just the one door. Yeah. As far as we know, but when you've had the brownies, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then I, I woke up uh, on the floor in the lounge in the family room 
with uh, my my <laughs> head lounge. we call it the lounge with my head bleeding and and my wife screaming bloody murder in my face that's what i woke up to and i said you know what i that i that made an impression on me i should be careful with this stuff <laughs> ah! Ah! <laughs> and it was i mean uh-huh. it was sanctioned we both had it earlier it's just that she's I can drink all day. It's like that Posey song. I can I drink can all day. I can drink all day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I call you Sister Carrie, but you're screaming in my face. Um, so I, uh, but no, and the, but, you know, the edibles, the thing about a modern edible, John, mm. you know, they'll bring it to your house. They'll, they'll oh, deliver sure. It. They'll deliver sure, sure, sure. it, and it's, it's, it's a very, it's very science, control- right? It's very it's scientific. Science. It's yeah. science. I like the watermelon ones. But yeah, no, little, what now? What about you? Were you just doing maintenance amounts of all the drugs, or were you? Did you have a period, like when you were at Ibiza, or something, or maybe Ibiza. when you, you were ra- Ibiza? Were you raving in Kirkland? Like, what was your uh, exposure to marijuana? There was no time. Uh, you know, I was a late adopter of drugs. Um, I was not somebody that started doing drugs in high school. Right. I was very um, suspicious and judgmental. Of drugs and people that did drugs in 100%. high school. Even though, when I found so, out my cousins, the summer that I stayed with my cousins and my aunt and uncle, and they introduced me to the Beatles and Yes and the James Gang, um, I discovered that my cousin, both cousins, but especially my, my so I have one cousin five years older than me, the other 10 years older than me. And when I found out my cousin five years, my senior, was, was a daily marijuana smoker, eighth grade, oh. broke my heart. Well, oh. no wonder you like the White Album. What are you doing in yeah, your life, yeah, Dave? Right. For me, I think until I was 17, I was very judgmental about drugs and premarital sex. Yep, 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 yep. I didn't want, I didn't want anything to do with those things, and I didn't want my friends to have anything to do with them, and I was suspicious of anybody that did. John, I was a prude. I want to put it that way. In that aspect of life, I was a prude. I wouldn't go to a strip. I still don't like strip clubs, as you know. I wouldn't go to a strip club to see my friend dance. My girlfriend wanted to go. I wouldn't go. I said that was debasing the women. And she said, mm. well, she's getting paid. You and I had a, had a wonderful experience it's standing such a good in, experience. The, in the foyer of a strip club going, I don't want to go in there. Do you oh, want to go in there? <laughs> and our friends were in there already <laughs> with so their dark. shoes off. Oh. <laughs> it's so dark and costly. And I'm just staring at yeah. it. You want to talk about the drop ceiling? This is. <laughs> yes. They want money. They want money to go in there. <laughs> they want money. They charged us money to come you in and get go, a Coke. You want to go around the block or something? There's got to be something else we could do. Nope. We went in. We went in. We went in. We were, uh, we were real guys. Yeah, we were faithful friends. That Didn't day. have any drugs, though. I think I probably had, knowing me, I would have had, a, I call it a sea breeze. I probably yeah. had a vodka and cranberry juice, and it was probably $40 for the Yeah, sea I breeze. think I might, have had a, I might have had a cranberry and soda. But yep. anyway. Yep, pretty pleasing. Uh, no, I was, until I was, until it was about, uh, whoa, until the spring of my senior year. So it would have been, I would have been 17 and a half, and um, I finally smoked pot for the first time mm-hmm. and this was in alaska in the 80s i mean everybody had been smoking pot since junior high but i just oh, this is where they had the thunderfuck yeah i was just like no 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 if you start smoking pot then mm-hmm. what's going to happen then you're going to you're then pretty soon you're going to be driving a vw bus and then oh, after that well, well what's going to happen gonna be... well, there's things we know are going to happen and there's things that we can, we imagine can happen but it's yeah. certainly you've you've had a health class You've seen Here's what's going to happen. You're going to have a tapestry for a door. Ugh. Oh, right? God. Beaded curtains, patchouli. Your, your, your bedroom door is going to be a tapestry if you if you don't watch out. That's always a risk. You don't see it coming either. I don't think. I don't think it's all like you start drinking, you start uh, like eating like whole wheat pasta, reading the whole earth catalog and shit. No. Fuck. No, thank you. No. Nope. But once I started, so when I, when I first smoked pot, I was like, yeah, it's fine. And then, you know, I smoked it a second time and third time, you know, laughing. Did, did, so and, real, real quick, did it do anything the first time? For, for me, it didn't do anything for months no, or no, probably five or six smokings. Nothing happened until I, I almost died. But I did, think it was the third time that it really kicked in. It took. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was the time. And I was over at, you know, I like it, that should be a magical, uh, occasion in your life, right? That mm-hmm. should be like. That should be like uh, something that's that's really wonderful, like that you do in a temple or you do on a beach. And I, I did it hmm. at a at a pot dealer's house, hmm. a pot dealer. I'm sorry, a pot dealer's apartment. And this was a guy <laughs> I knew in high school who had moved out of his parents' house before he graduated, so he was already living on his own as a senior, and he had a one bedroom ground floor apartment in a 
in one of those like two story apartment buildings. I was that, so envious of my like, one or two year motel. older friends. My one or two year older friends. Yeah, yeah. My friend Alan had a place like that. It was one of those like you know, it looks like a hotel or like a motel, and it's yeah, just you really... drive up right in front of your door. And yeah, yeah, two hundred fifty dollars a month, but it was like total freedom. You could watch TV whenever you wanted. Total freedom. And total I freedom. we got stoned, and I went into the bathroom and looked at myself in the mirror and laughed, and then the drug dealer guy was like ha 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 were you looking at yourself in the mirror don't do that and i was like oh my god and then we ordered <laughs> pizza you ever really pizza. look at your hand <laughs> wow it was totally that i'm so hand. into your so into your hair right now <laughs> the pizza came and the and the drug dealer dude was like hey watch this and he ordered like a couple of pizzas and then like five minutes before they got there he called and canceled and he what? was like you know i got it sorry you got to ca- cancel the pizzas and the pizza delivery dude was already on his way so then when the pizza delivery dude showed up oh no he was like oh i canceled those pizzas bro and the guy was like oh man mm. and then he was like we'll tell you what i'll get i'll buy them from you for half price mm. oh, oh it's a bit he's doing a scam it's a, it's a scam ah. and then the guy was like oh all right fine whatever and so were you in and then on he, it? did you know or were you weird no no i was sitting on oh the couch. shit dog I, I had I I had my knees up to my chest and I was like, "What's happening? There's something at the door. Who is it? Who is it? How does he How does he know where How does he know where you live? Shh, shh, shh. And then I really think about a telephone. All these pizzas were so good. Can you imagine how good these were? The one night I ate a I ate a large Domino's pizza by myself because of marijuana. Mm-hmm. I used to do that a long time before I smoked marijuana because I was a, you know, I was, I was a husky kid. You're a husky boy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My yeah. sister was, uh, my sister's still mad about it. She was talking two days ago. She was like, "Yeah, remember when you were in high school and you would order a large pizza and mom would make you give me one slice and you acted like I was like yeah. I was taking a that's piece like breaking out of up your... the set. That's like uh, like, like giving somebody one of your teaspoons. It's like a large pizza. I'm a growing boy. I'm 16 years old. Of course, yeah. I'm going to eat them. Of course." I didn't get into habitual pot smoking for a while. And it's like you were saying, initially because of the expense. Mm-hmm. But for a long time, I kept, a, I kept a, a bag of weed and a pipe in the garage. And I would go out there and I would, you know, it was, those were the great days when you could take like two hits, just like, and then you're baked. You didn't yeah. need any more. Like you could, you could tamp out the bowl and be like, I've got more in here, and I'm so stoned. Right, like the really stuff one- we had. It was maybe it was mostly like you were guaranteed a headache, mm-hmm. and then you might get a little bit tipsy. Oh no, this was you know Alaska weed was the kind where you took one hit, and you were basically in the Rolling Stones. Oh man, you know you were just like I'm so fucking wasted. Ah. <laughs> but then later I became like a wake and bake smoker and then wake and bake like first thing i did like opened my eyes and like reached over and got high because it was just like i'm gonna get high all day why don't i start right now why wouldn't i start first thing hmm. and then smoke pot all day and that when oh, and that's and then i was smoking pot all day all the were, time were you working at the newsstand then when no, no this, no, this is alaska before, talking no, about alaska okay yeah well no and in, in seattle too this okay. is all i mean I, by the time i got a job i was sober Okay. But the thing was that during that whole period when I was drinking and smoking weed and then got into other drugs and then started taking all the drugs, I still was always kind of trying to maintain a foothold by saying, you know what? I'm not going to do any of X for the month of Y. Okay. Right? I'm going to... You know what? I'm smoking too much weed. I'm going to cut out weed for November. Okay. And then I would just fill the, you know, the the weed-shaped hole in my life with whatever else. But I would I was always trying to like it wasn't just click on a formula where where I had I could do I could manage my life. But it was it was a constant sort of feeling like Habit is my enemy. And I know that's... That's so interesting, John. Like, you never take the same route twice, that kind right. of thing. Like, you... Not not just to, you know, have the CIA or the shadow CIA not be able to see your movements. Right. That just is... This is praxis for you, is you do yeah. order something different every time. 
habit, I guess, isn't, it's not that it's my enemy, but habit is a dependency. Habit is a weakness. Wow. Um, and so I, so, and I, and you know, now that I think about it, I still live that way. Like I'm very suspicious of habit and I, and I, when I catch myself in a habit, I, and sometimes it's a struggle, right? It's a habit. I mean, sometimes by the time I realize it's a habit, I'm, it's very it's too ingrained. Late. And, yeah, yeah. Those, it's like somebody once described this to me as like describing like cigarettes, where like a habit is, uh, and it's interesting the way you're using habit. How you, it seems like you're using habit to mean, so sometimes when people say habit, they mean rut. Sometimes when people say habit, they mean like a positive thing you've built up. But it sounds like you're talking about like you unintentionally find yourself backing into a uh, dependency kind of. Yeah. And some of them, some of them I think are what people would describe as even positive habits, you know, like just things that are habitual, Yeah, but that are, but, but I'm, I always try to short circuit those things. And I think it's just because I don't want to be a creature of habit. Uh, and, uh-huh. and that, that worked for me in the drug years uh, because I mean, it's not like, it's not like any of those attempts to solve my drug use worked as solutions, but I was always bouncing, bouncing around kind of, and, and I think what it did was it made me always conscious of the fact that, um, none of this is stable, right? I'm never going to be somebody that buys an eighth from the same dude the same day every week, right? smokes it from the same pipe, you know, and watches my same shows. Like I always, I had one pipe that I kept forever. And I think I probably still have it in a box somewhere. And it was a (laughs) gift. Somebody really early on in my pot smoking days was like, you know, we were smoking pot through this little pipe and it was, you know, it was total great seventies. Like it had, it was brass, but it had wood, And it was a classic, just little, very small, little, little pipe that was probably. Yeah. The the kind, the kind that you would, like if you were like slightly more sophisticated than using an apple or a Coke can, like you could go to the head shop and for like, probably like five bucks, get like a little, little, usually like a metal and like a color. You could go a little more upgrade and get that kind of like the, the, the hippie one that's like made out of wood and you slide the thing. You know? Oh There's yeah, those. your little your yeah. Right. Your, yours and is this, more like a tiny brass instrument. It had it was a brass bowl, and then it had a little wood, sort of uh, shaped like an almond, and then a little section of brass, and then another little wood shaped like an almond, and mm. then I think maybe a wood mouth. But it, it had it had been painted, but it had been used for many years, so that it was kind of worn away like a like an old Telecaster, <laughs> except it was kind of red and green. But anyway, we were smoking, and this guy was like. Hey man, I want you to have this pipe. And I was like, wow. Hmm. Cool. And he was like, it was my mom's. (laughs) (laughs) This episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you in part by Headspace. You can learn more about Headspace right now by visiting headspace.com slash supertrain. Friends, life can be stressful even under normal circumstances. 2020 has challenged even the most difficult times of life, and you need stress relief that goes beyond quick fixes, and that's why you got to check out Headspace. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is the one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace can really help you feel better if you're overwhelmed Don't worry, Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. Maybe you need some help falling asleep. Headspace has wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. That's kind of cool. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. I've used uh, Headspace in the past and found it really useful for establishing the habit of meditation. That's the hardest part in some ways. No matter how new you are to this practice, they will walk you through everything you need to know. You just sit down and you do it. And let's be honest, once you have the Headspace app on your device of choice, there's really no excuse not to make the time to use it. 
Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple, so you go to headspace.com slash supertrain. That's headspace.com slash supertrain for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. Say it thrice, and it's almost like praying. The best deal offered right now, headspace.com slash supertrain today. Our thanks to Headspace for supporting Roderick on the Line and all the great shows. And Oh, tell me more. I was so, I mean, it warmed my heart <laughs> that this dude would give me his mom's pipe. Uh-huh. And I... <laughs> You know, of all the things I lost, like I've had uh-huh. 600 pipes and bongs, uh-huh. but this one, that it was special. just, yeah. it was like my Kawichin hat. Mm-hmm. It was just like, I lost so much shit over the years. So much great stuff has gone through me and has just been kind of, you know, picked off of me by vultures. Yeah. But this pipe, the, vul- the vultures hat, of the vultures of time, the vultures of awareness vultures of time and the vultures of girlfriends that are girlfriends, like, I like yeah. that shirt. I like that shirt. <laughs> oh, that boy. still happens. And I'm just like, I, I'm like, where is the girlfriend even coming from? How did this shirt get the girlfriend's coming from inside the house? In my case, exactly my, my daughter right. has appropriated pretty much all of my clothes. Your cool um, stuff, right? Oh, uh, well, I mean, you know, she's, she's got a lifestyle and a look. And, and I guess I guess I, I dress like the lifestyle that she's becoming. She, she at first she wanted to just look like my friend uh, Alex Cox, so she would steal all my plaid shirts with patterns. But like today, she's wearing she's wearing my uh, wearing my uh, Ben uh, okay, Ben Sherman like really cool green Glen plaid shirt with my Narragansett beer jacket and with the Wolverine pin on it. She just rolls in this morning and she just she just wears my clothes now. She goes <laughs> she, my closet is now her closet, but at least it's still around. It didn't didn't disappear in a Filson bag. Yeah, your your casa is uh, is Sus- <laughs> Sus- Sus- <laughs> Susan. <laughs> but I I uh, I definitely have, I definitely always felt like pushing against. Yeah. So so for instance, like there have been I don't know not that many times, but times when I was like, I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to do something bad for a month and see see what it's like. I'm not so going to So that could be something like like shoplifting or speeding, but something that's considered like mainly is it a personal or a societal ill or what what's the nature of it? Just the habit is a habit and I don't want it. I don't prefer it. Yeah, well, I've never shoplifted at all. Or or if I have, it was one I've had, time. I've had stealing, the philosophy of stealing on my list for months now. we got to come back to that at some point. No, I was never a stealer. And <clears throat> I think when I You never I stole first... beer? No. Hmm. I, the, the two things that you could describe me as having stolen, um, I mean, I definitely have stolen a couple of cars, but I always brought them back. Okay. All right. Um, I did used to go into the supermarket with friends, and we would go in the back and do whippets. And then put the, put the, um, the cans in the back. Oh, you take a hit off a ready whip. Take a hit off a ready whip and then put the, well, not a hit. We would empty the ready whip of yeah. nitrous oxide. They, they know, they back. should know, they should know what they're in for just by stocking that stuff. Yeah. And, that, and you know, at, at, at two thirty in the morning in an all night grocery store, if two dudes with <clears throat> really, really red eyes come in and are mm. like, we'll just be right at, we just need some half at half. And then they go back and they're like in the walk-in. Uh-huh. Uh, in fact, one time we did go into, uh, Kel McCarl and I went into a grocery store with, wearing like worker dude jackets, like those blue jackets. And we were like, yeah, we're from the freezer company. <laughs> it was like 2.30 in the morning. It's like the saddest Ocean's Eleven ever. And there, there was some 20-year-old girl working the cash register who looked up from her fingernails and was like, ah, whatever. And we went back and went into the cooler and sat and did whippets until until yeah, our minds were fried. So that technically is stealing. Yeah. I just, you know, all I left with was the memories. Oh, yeah. Uh, but one time, and I was with Kel McCarl again. One time we were, at this point we were in Stanwood, Washington. We were very poor. And uh, 
we went into a supermarket and I had, you know, two dollars or whatever, and I was gonna buy I was gonna do that thing where I spent four hours in the supermarket trying to maximize my two dollars. Like oh, if yeah. I get one bag of Fritos and then I get a stick of gum. Oh and I boy, get... I know that game. <clears throat> there could be one like, and if I do this, I can go to that place where you can buy one stick of butter or that kind of right, thing. You right, do this right. resource leveling. Oh my yeah. God, I've done oh, that. Oh, like a, a jar of grape jelly and a, and a, you know, loaf of Wonder Bread will get me further <sighs> than, but we're walking around the grocery store and Kel, I'd never seen that. I'd never seen a thing like this. Kel reaches in, gets a thing of chocolate milk and just opens it and starts walking around the supermarket drinking it. Hmm. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? And then he finished his, you know, it was a little thing of chocolate milk. I finished it and he put it down on a shelf. Uh, yeah. And he's just like stealing from the store while we're in the store. I was super appalled. Hmm. Uh, and I think he took like a kielbasa uh -huh. and <laughs> put it in his coat <laughs> And I left the store with him without reporting him. So I was an accomplice. Oh, I see. Uh, you were complicit. But I was never I was never a stealer. Okay. Right? Was, All right. But no, the things that I would quit were, I mean, I can't quit you. I can't quit my baby. Yeah. I mean, if you stole my heart, that's stealing. But I can quit almost anything else um, for for a month. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, sure. And I'm just trying to think of I'm trying to think of anything in my life that I haven't quit for a period just to test whether or not I could whether yes. or not I could do it, you know? Yeah. And I mean, you know, this is I don't know, it's a big theme for me over many years is the um I, I'm a, as somebody who used to dabble in the self-help industry professionally. Right. Um I get a bee in my bonnet about people who want the specific logistical Give me the hot tips and the life hacks thing because they're they're too they're too bored or uninterested to explore the philosophical underpinning about how you got where you are, mm. how you get where you want to go, and how you implement some kind of you know I don't, I don't mean to be like a, a, a you know a dork about it, but like just telling people like go 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 organize your socks like this is not useful. It's more helpful. Like in your case, okay, let's go back a minute. You talked about okay, I'm not gonna smoke pot for a month. But I found a marijuana loophole, which is I can do these other things. Well, you want if you wanted an omnibus project of uh, becoming a better and healthier person, <clears throat> for example, you wouldn't say, well, you know, I'm going to cut out potato chips and I'm only going to eat two quarts of ice cream a night. That You know what I mean? I, I just mm -hmm. think I, I realize that's probably really obvious to a lot of people, but it doesn't it's not as <clears throat> it's not as obvious and clear as it seems. And like. You can find ways to, to come up with these sorts of things in a way that's actually not, not all that wholesome, not actually all that helpful. But I, 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 think, I think I know what you mean. I, I, this really does go into your testing protocol, which I think is super interesting. You've always been like this, right? For, for yeah. a long time, you've, you've said, I, I'm going to disrupt the regularity of what I'm doing um, in things large and small in order to find out who I really am and what I can tolerate. And then, like, and you end up uh, uh, undertaking something that you know will cause you discomfort. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. A, a, a hair shirting. Mm -hmm. But but it's not because I. <clears throat> it's not just to punish myself. Mm -hmm. It's like to train. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember. I, was it? Wasn't it you? Uh, I, I. It has to be you. One of the reasons. One of the numerous reasons you were opposed to taking prescriptions of things was well partly you just don't like to, to take drugs anymore like you you've refused my ephedrine i think one time you did did uh, at uh, at bimbo's maybe not at bimbo's at uh at whatchamadick the the big place you you did have some cold medicine that i brought you mm -hmm. but apart from that your thing is if we get into a cormac mccarthy type situation and i'm pushing around a grocery cart trying to avoid the zombies no spoilers I don't want to I don't want to run out of my loratadine or I don't want to run out of my uh, my uh, what's the black box stuff we take that's you know the uh, the uh, 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 lamictal yeah, yeah. lamotrigine <clears throat> dancing for lamotrigine was that David Bowie hit and well, now, so you right, know, isn't that part of it now. you don't want you don't want to be strung out with your golf or your golf cart with your grocery cart and your kid going like oh geez now now I'm feeling spiders under my skin. 
they've got me. <clears throat> they've got me on That's the, they on the drugs, right? Yep, they've got yep, me yep, on yep. the Lamictal, but also on the on the uh, the blood pressure medicine. And now I do feel so uncomfortable being tied to the to like pharmacies. Like oh, the yeah. last thing I wanted in life was to have to go to the pharmacy. And the thing is, they won't just sell you a big bottle of it and you get one once a year. They get, they get you on this freaking cycle where you're just like, you know, yeah. now I'm, now I guess I have to, and part of it is some, at some point, Merlin, I want to go live under the ocean and, it, yeah, and you can't yeah. go live under the ocean because there aren't any pharmacies there. Oh my God. Not yet. Yeah. Well, see? Right. Yeah, no, and no, so, I, I feel, and that's one of the reasons I got off a lot of that stuff, including Adderall, which is the greatest thing I've ever taken in my life, was I said to myself, I says, I don't want to be a 70-something-year-old person and still need to get a physical prescription from a doctor and every single fucking month to get 30 pills, right? Mm. And like, it's, I think there's been a little movement on that. The stuff I take for ADD now is not nearly as fun, but it, but it is still in one of those schedules. But my doctor can phone that to a pharmacy to say, yes, he's allowed to have this. But the idea of like being under the sea and like trying to find a CVS, forget it. Right. I mean, if you were, if you were, I think it's surprising to me how much the movie Gattaca influenced me. Because it's not hmm. that I thought it was that great of a movie. It was a it was a fine movie. Um, <clears throat> this is the one. This it, is the one with uh, not Matt Damon, but the guy who looks like Matt Damon, Ethan Ethan Hawke, and and Uma they get your hairs, Uma, and they get your hairs, and they can tell if you're like one of the non genetic perfect people or something. Yeah, like, there's a class system of like how healthy you are. Is that it? Yeah, the, if you don't if you don't have perfect eyesight or whatever, you know, yeah. you end up working in a factory. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and it was one of those science fiction movies. You know how it is with science mm -hmm. fiction. I do. Sometimes you see a science fiction movie, and the whole thing is throwing so much science and fiction at you, and you walk out of it at the end, and you're like, meh. Yeah. But then other times you see a Blade Runner or or something else, and you're like, "Well, that's the whole. That's all I think about now." And yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the, so, I mean, I I like a lot of different kinds of sci-fi and fantasy things, but like there are the ones where it's really about the world building and all of the things and like the blue milk and all of that. But some of the ones I find the most bracing, everything spins out of a big basic difference. Yeah, about right. what's possible. So something like, especially time travel movies, like I, I, well, I love the movie Predestination so, so much. Movies like that, where there's a big concept, or like my kids reading Fahrenheit 451 right now. And like, there's these kinds of things where like, there's a lot you can do, but like, if you try to put a hat on a hat with that, it gets too cute. Yeah. But the big ones, will, they'll, they'll get through to you if they got, got the big concept. You know? It's what I it's what I loved about Harlan Ellison, and I know he's uh, I know that a lot of his work is like even even when I read it as a teenager, I was like, Ew. but but mm. there were so many of those stories. It's what makes Black Mirror such a great show mm -hmm. because you're just like, oh, all they did was tweak one thing, but it sure tweaked it hard. Yeah, they're amplifying something that's already a thing, yeah. and and I mean, you know, to sometimes differing results, but like, you know, I, I can't unthink. So there's so many episodes of that that I love, but one that I think about constantly is the one with, I want to say Bryce Dallas Howard, but it's the one where you rate and review everything and everything oh, yeah. rates and reviews you. Yeah. I fucking think about that all the, I still think about that all the time. <laughs> all the time. Every time they say, hey, your Instacart guy sent you a photo of a shelf and I go to look at the photo of the shelf, even though I've already picked a replacement, that's fine, it's a difficult job. I click and I go to the Instacart app and guess what happens? I can't go chat with my person or see the shelf they sent because guess what? I get a pop-up asking oh. me to rate and review my last order. Oh, rate and review. A rate and review. How many stars would you give a, a person bringing seltzer? Well, they, they did it. It's seltzer. <laughs> how, how, many, how, I mean, how many stars do you need? Every single time it steals focus from what I'm trying to do because they've decided the most important thing is, is to rate and review. Rate and review! Rate and review. And you know the Ubers and the Lyfts, they rate and review you back. So it's very Bryce. I think it's Bryce Dallas Howard, I want to say. Mm -hmm. Anyway, anyway, sorry. Uh, well, big, so, big idea. So, but you know, like eugenics has been one of these from the first, from the moment it, that concept was introduced to me, it's been this bugbear in my mind from the time I was an early teen and all of the kind of vaguely eugenical programs. And, you know, it's like, there's always going to be people that want to trend that way. There's always going to be political 
uh, like formulations that if you scratch the surface of it, you really, it's not hard to see that the people behind it, it's just creeping eugenicism, right? And mm-hmm. because there's, it's not all, it's not all nazi. There are a lot of people that are like, this is the way. Right. Um, and, and so it's like real small incremental stuff. And that was, that was, that was behind well, I mean, Gattaca like, too. Until, I mean, until I think fairly recently for a long time. And this, oh God, I'm so obsessed with all these different shows about British royalty right now, but like there's a, no spoilers, but you know, there is history there. We learn at one point that several members of Queen Elizabeth's fairly close family are in an asylum. Right. And and it's for like for what do they call like defective persons or something like that. Yeah. But like yeah. they were they were my, one of my best friends. His his aunt was she came to the house twice a year because the rest of the year she was in a facility. She did yeah. not fit into the plan for that family. And I mean, it wasn't it isn't just like you say it isn't just Nazis like things like I mean. Um, you know, uh, uh, what's the word? That horrible word I'm looking for, neutering? Or like, you know, uh, people who... Uh, sterilizing. Uh, sterilizing people with developmental problems? I mean, that was happening in the 60s, I think, right? Well, it depends on where you, you go. It's happening now. Yeah. Not 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 hopefully in the United States, but... But I mean, but they did. I don't, I don't, was your, so were the Nazis your first exposure to that, the whole like measuring skulls and noses? I remember a book about Nazis in elementary school and showing how they would measure people's noses and stuff like that. Was that your first exposure to this idea? No, it was science fiction. I was okay. reading, you know, I was reading some some 60s anthology of, of um, you know, all the science fiction writers that were like, let's explore in, the incest taboo or whatever, you know, and mm-hmm. um, and yeah just the concept of like oh you could just you could just approach human breeding like you do animal breeding yeah, yeah. and uh and all of a sudden you're in, you're into a whole different way of of thinking about government um and think just thinking about all like just whatever so our, our whole society and yeah i, I mean like, like if you're, you're like are we gonna how are we going to apportion limited resources here is right. one seemingly like sensible capitalist idea is like well we don't want to waste all of this education money on people that well, let's be honest you know they're not going to be great contributors to society you, you could have what seems like a fairly practical approach to that but that's not that different from like well there's just not a lot of money for this school because the tax base in this area is not very high but, but the whole, I mean, we're right on the cusp, right, of we, we're, um, I mean, for the last 20 years or, or more, we have been hard charging at the human genome and the, the um, you know, the justification for it, the logic, the scientific motivation is to eliminate disease, to cure, uh, right. to cure problems, but it's like so many things in life, just because we're focusing on the nice application doesn't mean that the, that the sinister application isn't shadowing it the whole time. We see that all the time now with the surveillance stuff where it's like they, they trot out, (laughs) I shouldn't say this, but there's this phrase that, that came up at one point where people started calling these sorts of things, the starving African child, where you come up with this extreme example of something in order to make a case for something and it becomes a cause celeb. And for a lot of people right now, that's the bugaboos used to be drugs, right? It used to be, um, I feel like today it's like pedophilia where it's like, well, if anything involves terrorism or pedophilia, it's got to be okay. And then, but the truth is, then guess what? Almost almost all of those laws that you put in place or practices you put in place for a seemingly good reason will come back to bite you in the ass and mostly uh, impact poor people of color. Speeding laws. Speeding, yeah, great. Don't speed in the school zone. Well, you know who gets pulled over for speeding? Like lots of black people, because that's a way that we can search them. And that's... I think we're on the cusp of uh, when when genetic manipulation, when gene manipulation tools become more widely disseminated, which they will. There's no, you, you can't keep that stuff in a box. Right. right, so, right. Somehow it's amazing to me that the 20th century managed to keep nuclear bombs in a box enough that we can still count the the nation states that 
can manufacture them. There's more movies a, about like whether like Broken Arrow type things. There's more movies about that stuff going wrong, Doctor Strange left stuff, than there are incidents of that ever happening in the way you and I would have anticipated in say 1984. Yeah, and most of the you know most of those Broken Arrow things are stolen bombs, right? It, right. It's it's astonishing to me that that it's still so difficult to make a bomb, <laughs> but it won't be that difficult to um to manipulate genes going forward because right. you know, it's already it, happening. It, yeah. And it's just going to disseminate and they're going to be right now, all the scientists doing the research, just like you were saying about surveillance, just like you think about drones. I mean, you think about the fucking web, we have the best intentions, but no one really considers what the, what, what the most sinister application or even, even just a slightly sinister application. Totally. But that ends up being the thing that changes our lives. Yep. And so, you know, eugenics and, and entirely that way of thinking, I mean, it's a, it, it feels to me at least like a pretty thin line between we're eradicating disease and we're eradicating alcoholism and, you oh, know, like I genetic see. basis yeah. for alcoholism. And then we're eradicating or we're, we are genetically ma manipulating so people don't have depression. And then we're genetically manipulating so people don't have yes. bad thoughts. And then you're not so far off. I believe it was George Washington Carver who said uh, weed is a flower that grows in the wrong place. It depends on who gets to define what's a flower and what's a weed, right? Because, right. like, we can all agree, like, hopefully that something like – uh, you know, MRSA or something like SARS or any of those kinds of things, not desirable, but it's a, you're right. It's a spectrum. Like pretty soon, like we're deciding there's a lot of stuff that weeds and who, you know, who gets to decide that. What's interesting, you know, watching Seattle mature and then mature and then become overripe is, and particularly from, from inside the music community and then that period of eight to 10 years, I was standing out in front of, in my, in front of my house the other day with a rake in my hand <laughs> and this neighbor walked by and I was like, Hey neighbor. And he was like, well, my dad's your neighbor. And we sat and talked and we were talking for a while. And this young woman comes walking along and, and both this guy and I kind of stepped out of her way. We were all wearing masks stepped out of her way so she could walk past. And when I stepped back from the sidewalk, she also altered course toward me. Huh. And so I stepped back a third time. She was carrying a package and she beelined for me. And I was like, what are you doing lady? Mm -hmm. And she said, Hey John, it's me and pulled her mask down. And I recognized her. She was from the music commission and she had found me. She had my address on file and she found me and just that day with, without calling or whatever, huh. decided that that was the day that she was going to go drive by my house and bring me this package what? that had been sitting on her desk for a year and a half. And, and she was like, here, this package, you know, I, I wanted to bring this to you and I'm so, and I, I just happened to be standing out on the street <laughs> and, she, and she'd parked way up the road and had walked down with this box. And the guy that I was talking to was like, what is happening? She handed me this box and I opened it and it was this beautiful framed, like, thank you for being on the music commission for eight years. And it, it was like a gold record, had my name on it and all this oh, nice wow. stuff. Wow. And then I had to explain to this guy like, oh yeah, you know, I'm like, I had this weird job. And then he was, he wanted to know what the hell that meant. And in the course of trying to describe to him why there was a music commission and what it did, and he, the whole time he was like, well, I thought, I think of Seattle as being like a, a real arts center. Like, why would you even need a government <laughs> music commission? And in, in, in describing it to him, it was a, it was a conversation that we'd had and, you know, and the young woman stayed there and she and I were kind of working together to try and explain, mm -hmm. but thinking about the Seattle ecosystem as, a, you know, as a, it, in its most basic form, like a, as a village and the period before the big music explosion there where the community kind of, you know, uh, art and music didn't really intrude. It didn't cause any problems. It wasn't Seattle was kind of a dingy city 
and kids went around and put their show posters up on phone poles and played in rec centers, but it didn't, it's not like it, it, uh, interfered with traffic or anything. Nobody cared. Right. And then there was a period of concentrated art making that happened there. And the city all of a sudden got real paternalistic about it and started to say like, well, you can't just have all these kids in this unlicensed space. Like what about the fire code? And then, you know, more and more sort of draconian policies. Like you can't put flyers up on phone poles anymore because it's a safety issue for the linemen that need <laughs> to climb the poles. This is a seriously, the city passed an ordinance. You can't flyer <laughs> uh, for your show. All anymore. those, all those rusty staples. You could, could get tetanus. Yeah, it's a safety issue. And, you know, and made it really hard to have all ages shows really crack down on the, on the music scene. And we had to organize to fight back. But now we're in this late stage where the city's just, and, and you lived through this in San Francisco, the city mm -hmm. just prices out art. Yeah. You yeah. There used to be this giant, giant, giant building down on, I want to say third, kind of in the Southeast part of town. It was like basically a, I've probably mentioned this before, but it was like a multi-story warehouse that was all just art places, mostly practice spaces for bands. And they just wiped it out. Like, you're all gone. Sorry, it's going to yeah. be a place that, you know, now uh, is disrupting the market for home delivery, frozen peas or whatever. <laughs> right. And 50 bands that made up the, you know, the core of a, of a whole scene, just like all yeah. gone at once. Exactly. And so that's happening in Seattle too. And, and it's... And, uh, you know, it might even be past the point of no return. But being inside of it, you you see that no one is exactly responsible for it, right? Nobody takes responsibility for it. It's not intentional. It's just that in any one given situation, the cost-benefit analysis never lands on the musician or the artist mm -hmm. because you never are fully crediting the benefit side of them versus the cost side. Especially when it's the benefits are so soft. This, it's soft benefit, right. You know what and, I mean? And, like, it's not, it's one thing to say like, well, you know, we got to keep, <laughs> God damn it. We got to keep all these bars open. So we're going to say you can have this many people till 10 o'clock or whatever. And it's like, God, please let my kid go back to school. But yeah. like the, the, that's a hard benefit because <laughs> obviously they get all this, you know, uh, uh, consideration that other people don't get. But there's a big difference between letting somebody do something sort of in a benign way versus like making it so that, okay, I, we're on the same team now and we're going to make this happen. There's a, there's a big difference to that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The soft, soft benefits though, I mean, it's <laughs> soft benefits are soft because they're very difficult to exactly define sort of the phrase I'm pivoting from a phrase, uh, soft skills, like, you know, there's hard skills of like what you do for your technology or whatever, but the soft skills of being good at communication and having good hygiene and all these kinds of things, like you, it's difficult to measure or make rules about those things, but the benefits are huge and may take a long time to accrete where like the downside of not having those soft benefits, it's going to be too late. By the time you realize it, it's too late. Cause guess what? Now Oakland, well, Oakland's expensive now too. San Francisco people, like they moved to Oakland, they moved to Daly city. They moved to somewhere that's sensible for a long time. LA was a much more artsy town than San Francisco for that very reason is like they, it mattered to them to have, it's my understanding way more than San Francisco. It mattered to them to make it a place that's affordable for people who create the, soft benefits that you it's difficult to just put your finger on. It's maddening. I told you, I talked to somebody, a, a guy in San Francisco, I was doing a show and, and he was the, he was the band leader. And I was like, we were playing in one of those, one of the 50 incredible small to medium sized theaters and clubs that are in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And he's an LA guy. And he said in the course of this conversation, um, you know, there's no place to play in LA, but there are a thousand bands. And in San Francisco, there are a thousand great places to play and no bands. <laughs> so God. we just come up, we just come up to San Francisco. We book, we book shows up here all the time be, just because there's great places to play. Um, but we have, but we have to live in LA. We can't afford to live here. Of course. But in, we, we were always making the case in Seattle that, that we were trying to make the economic benefit case, right? That Seattle was the city it was because of music and art. And we could show that it was an industry and that it 
that it brought a billion dollars of revenue into the city. And <laughs> right. we were always trying to posit it like, it's just like tugboats or it's just like, you know, it's just like software. It's an industry. And so we need, right. uh, but but of course it's it may, not. It may not be this particular band quasi that brings a benefit, but there are people all down the line that benefit from that. Whether that's the people who own the bars, the people who work at the bars, like you know what I mean. Like it's it's like you think about the impact of Broadway closing down. Well, it's yeah. way more than you don't get to see Hamilton for a year. There's so many people that are affected by that, and, and usually you only invoke that in a really lame way to say, oh, don't steal movies because you're hurting the grips or the gaffers or the best boys or whatever. But like, but you know, do do people still have that same understanding of the impact of an industry beyond like how you feel about this particular band and their art. Quasi's from Portland. Shit. God damn it. I I should know that. It's the lady from, oh, damn it. The point of the, 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 you always hurt the one you love. The connection is that. (laughs) Let's fuck that up. (laughs) I think, I think about, I think about the, I think about the way that we're going to be using medical, science to eliminate uh, non-optimal personality traits. Oh God, yeah. In the same way that the, it's going to have the same effect of a city just gradually like um, eliminating where, uh, eliminating abandoned warehouses and replacing them with nice apartments and not being conscious of the fact that those abandoned warehouses are the places where people uh, start to, you know, when they're young, they have a dirty cold space that they get to use to, to start painting, to start making rock music. Mm-hmm. And from the standpoint of a city, uh, their benefit is, is invisible to, to, to city planners. It's like there's this, this abandoned warehouse has no tax benefit to the city. Right. If we if we tear it down and replace it with a with a condo, it increases our tax base. We can use that money to fund the schools. You know, there's always an altruistic motive. That's another version of tent trash in some ways, where it's like we don't get a clear benefit from this, but it's not difficult for me to imagine the downside of this. This feels like nothing but risk. Just the insurance on this place could cause us problems. It's an attractive nuisance. There could be fires, that kind of thing. Right. But it's really those are the incubators of all the things that 25 years from now people will look back and say wow those were the days right that was those were the halcyon days of that like if we didn't have the music of of the doors then what would the 60s have been and the only reason the doors could have made that music is that they had a cheap practice space somewhere and you take away the cheap practice space and the entire 60s goes away. But all, but all, and just to, to yes, totally. But also, who's going to dare to dance the shaman's dance, Marlon? Hmm. Really overrated. But, but, um, also the whiskey a go go, like having, having a venue exactly. that like could be a home to both the doors and X or whomever. Like there's a, there's like, it's all, you know, you're like going uh, forward a little bit to the trail that you've been on the trail blazed in some ways by like SST bands in the eighties and minor threat. Like they're, they're in, into the early nineties. I was still getting to see bands in Tallahassee. Unbelievable. Like indie bands, because that was on that path. You go through Tallahassee, you go to Gainesville, you go to Orlando, you go to Miami. Like that, I, I don't want to overstate it, but like you're standing on the shoulders of giants in some ways. And like that, that industry may feel like, like fairly underground, but like everybody starts out in a shitty space like that. You don't, you don't get to Nirvana being on TV without having, you know, a, a lot of like dirty roach infested warehouses that are affordable. And that is what I worry about. What I what I what I see coming. Mm-hmm. There's no way, and we we struggle with this a lot. There's no way to say kind of. It's very hard, at least in the in the conversation, the the whatever the conversation is, whatever the public square is, to say there are benefits to depression. There are benefits to anxiety. There are benefits to bipolar. And, you know, art is not made by happy, well-adjusted <laughs> people in general. <laughs> yeah. And it's not a thing that you want to keep someone in pain and suffering. You don't want to encourage drug abuse. You don't want to, 
let on uh, you know depression and bipolar and yeah you don't want people to go without help that that they want or need but i i totally agree with you and like like another so i see what you're saying you're pivoting from that to the, to the health stuff but it's also like well you know not i'm not to be all gramsci or something but like also it's hard to hold down a menial job or six <laughs> if you've got those kinds of problems you want healthy people in your workforce you want people who are like right. dependable and, and i don't again i don't want to be too gross about the capitalism bit but like i think that's really true i think you know the reason they're you know electrocuting jack nicholson in one floor of the cuckoo's nest is like he's not he's not a contributing citizen um setting aside how we treat the least of us there's also just that thing of like we just we need people we need warm bodies the classes i was given in seventh grade like in vocational wheel it's just classes to keep you out of jail it's just basically learning how to like do the most menial tasks because it's a fallback since you're probably not going to go to college and be useful. At least you could fix a rich person's car. And it does feel like a black mirror kind of, kind of future scape mm-hmm. where particularly if, particularly if people, if you, if, if, if it's possible to genetically tweak your kids so that they're not sad <laughs> then they're probably not also going to need music made by sad dopes. Oh God, yes. Oh my and God. The, no, and it's the music, true. They'll also Ugh. be able to really appreciate music that's made by algorithms. Right? Like <laughs> like Hey, I would like to hear some sunny pop. And the computer is just like, Sunshine is happening today. And you're like, groove in. Yeah. And and it and so it will it will end up being that sadness is a class determiner. Whoa! It's also just it makes people more manageable. Uh, again, obsessed with all this British stuff. There's an episode of The Crown after uh, spoiler Princess Diana dies, and they're up at Balmoral Castle in Scotland, and the Queen says, "Take out all the radios, take out all the televisions and newspapers. I don't want the two boys, her sons, to be sad." And we were just you know we're t- watching this and talking about it, and I, I said uh, to my kid, you know. I, I hate to admit this. It's a shameful thing for a father to admit, but one must be honest with oneself that there are times that you do something for your kid under the sort of the guise of helping them and under the guise of making them better or making them not be worse or having them not be sad or all those things or having them not suffer privations, right? There's all these things that you do, but the, you have to ask yourself, if you're being honest, what are the things that I do that cause problems for me but help the kid versus things that seem to help the kid and reduce problems for me. And mm. I said, I think the queen in that case, you know, like putting your kid on more drugs than they require or whatever, you know what I mean? What, whatever it is, making people manageable, whether that's an employee or whether that's a, a, a young person, a f- pre-adult. I think sometimes we, we do need to like push back on the idea that like, well, we don't want people taking their own life. And so therefore everybody must be, uh, you know, medicated. And therefore, you know, pretty soon you get to like, well, yeah, but like, it's also just easier to manage you at the Home Depot if we can keep you in a certain mood. It sounds very they live, but like, I really, I do believe that. It's super hard to, you know, I've always been somebody that pushes back when, when musicians come to me and say, if I quit doing drugs, I'm not going to be a good artist anymore. Like the drugs or what, you know, and I've, I've always been, <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> I've always been somebody that called bullshit on that. That's why Sid Barrett's career went so well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. There's, you yeah. know, like I had a, I had a, a, a kid tell me a few years ago, like that his heroes were, and he just named all these rock stars that had died young. And I was like, why are you coming to me for help? Like, if you want to die young, my God, oh, there's you a, there's a lot of ways you can die young. It's easier yeah. than a lot of people realize. I don't want to hold your hand through that. Go die young if that's your thing. Know. But if you, oh, you're 26, you, know. you only got another year. Do it. Yeah, fucking live it up. <laughs> I hope you make a great record between now and then. Mr. Mojo rising. <laughs> but, but at the same Terrible time, band. right? Like, like I don't want, I also don't, I mean, maybe that's, maybe it's our ultimate evolution. Maybe sadness and depression really are just like the tuberculosis of the mind. And <laughs> what we really should be is just a happy little hive of, of eco bugs that, you know, that, that eat their own poo and live in the sun. I don't know. I don't know what, you know, it may, it may actually be that we are, we're going to be the last generation that's nostalgic from a time for a time when like, 
youth were sad. But, you know, I, I, there, there are people who will be listening to this, well, I imagine, including possibly me, but there are people who listen to this and I think will misapprehend what, what I think we're both trying to say, which is if you find the idea of what we're saying here disturbing or upsetting, that actually should give you hope because that means it hasn't totally happened yet. The problem is there's so many, back to the Gramsci, there's so many kinds of things that we just accept as being normal now, that we just accept as being necessary, a necessary cost of keeping the big, all the different machines running. We accept so many things like that, that at one time, a lot of people said, boy, that's going to that's gonna really be terrible if they do that. And then they did it. And now we all just take it as like a normal thing. And, and so it's not to say that people should be denied help or people should be you know, kind of left to their own devices to like, you know, play an accordion in a roach room. But it does also mean like, let's, let's think about how many of these sorts of things are presented to us as a great societal benefit or even a societal necessity, but then end up being like incredibly fucking dark and like starting a world war. It's like, there's a, there's a lot, well, not that per se. I mean, you got the Sudetenland, but you know what I mean? There's a lot of stuff that's like, that gets presented as like, Hey, great. Here's the new miracle cure you know, kiss the pan. And it's like, no, that's not a miracle cure. And I want to, I want to push back on the idea that you can, you can sugarcoat all of these invasive ideas for what you claim is my benefit and society's benefit. It's like, I think that's very much worth pushing back on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that maybe this November, Merlin, you and I should not jack off. Oh, well, we missed our window. What, what should we What should we do in December? Let's oh, do, maybe let's we should jack it, off more. Let, oh, wait a minute. Have 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 do it December? <laughs> it's like, you know, Honda days <laughs> or the December to remember. <laughs> oh! December to remember, December to remember. <laughs> what happened on my good towels? Mom, I'm studying. 